Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, broadcasting remotely. A portion of America began to understand what racial injustice looks like when they saw a video of Minnesota man George Floyd being killed by police. Now another black man, Jacob Blake, lies paralyzed in a hospital after being shot by police in the back seven times. And Americans also are protesting for change on behalf of black women like Breonna Taylor. She was shot and killed by police in her apartment in March. Recently, a number of professional sports teams and athletes came together and halted their games to support protests for police accountability. Today, where we live, we talk about this moment. Often, commentators and some sports fans say athletes should, quote, shut up and play. But athletes are pushing back. Coming up, we talk about the long history of protests in sports. First, former UConn Husky Renee Montgomery joins us. She's been playing in the WNBA for several years now, but this season she opted out of playing for the Atlanta Dream so she could focus on social justice issues. Renee Montgomery, welcome to where we live. Renee, can you hear us? I sure can. Thank you for having me. Can you hear me? We can hear you now. Uh, luckily, oh, uh, well, I was like, oh, no, <laughs> the, the Zoom connection. Uh, but we do appreciate uh, you you, you uh, connecting with us this morning, Renee. Uh, first off, I know uh, many of our listeners are, are excited to hear from you uh, as a former UConn Husky who won a 2009 NCAA championship. You're also a two-time WNBA champion with the Minnesota Lynx. You've been playing basketball your whole life. So tell us about that moment when you decided that you were going to sit out this season. What made you do it yeah so you you know you talked about one of the hardest things I have been playing basketball my whole entire life so not only was it my job but it was my hobby it was my passion it was it was my goals for all those years so when I was sitting out and it was for social causes it, it was hard to do not because the social causes weren't important enough but because basketball has been my love for so long mm. I mentioned George Floyd at the top of the show. Uh, it was hard to see that video for so many people. When you heard about George Floyd's death, did you watch the video? Was that the moment that you decided that enough is enough? You wanted to, to work on, on other things besides uh, playing basketball? You know, when I watched that video, that's what I would say triggered me. That's what started to really get my mind like, man, we got to do something like, you know, that was only my mind. Like, I got to figure out something that I could do to be a positive light other than what's going on right now. Then I talked to my parents and then that was that was really <clears throat> excuse me. That was really the point where I knew I, I wanted to do something. I talked to my mom and, and had found out that she was already in the activist space before. And I'm like, what? I didn't even know that. So then once I started to hear their stories and hear different things that my own parents went through, that's when I knew that, okay, I, I have to do something. Mm. Tell me more when you said the video triggered you and, and you spoke with your parents and they told you stories. What was it like growing up as a, a little black girl in West Virginia? Yeah, so, you know, growing up in West Virginia, it, it wasn't uncommon to be the only black kid in the class or the only black kid in the school. So that was a norm for me growing up. And honestly, when I was young, it it 
it didn't make me see racism. It made me just feel uncomfortable a lot of times. You know, it didn't, it wasn't what you might expect it to be. I just felt uncomfortable being different from everyone else all the time. And particularly in February on Black History Month, where now I knew everyone was walking on eggshells trying to make sure they're extra nice to me and and, and make sure that, you know, they're not trying to offend me. And, and as a lot of people know, I like to joke and have fun. And everybody gets really serious in February because it's Black History Month and Renee's the only Black kid in the school. So that was awkward growing up. But, you know, basketball, I would say that's where sports really helped because I had an identity. You know, I was a part of a team, a part of a group. And then when I was talking about what my my parents had went through, well, my mom grew up in West Virginia as well. Mm-hmm. Her experiences weren't like mine. You know, her experiences, she had to do a walkout at her high school because the 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 white students were throwing pennies at a black student during a talent show. The black students were looking around like, hey, what's going on here? Waiting for the staff to intervene and stop the, the students. And they didn't. So my mom, as well as all the other black students and some white students, they they did a walkout of the school to show that they didn't want to accept that behavior. And, and just hearing that, I didn't know that before. But I found that out the night that the protests were going on here in Atlanta. So that was very eye opening, I would say. And, and that led to my decision. Mm. You were, I believe, the first WNBA WNBA player uh, to announce this decision at the start of this season. I'm thinking about your former UConn teammate, Maya Moore, who also stopped playing basketball. Uh, She did it in 2019 to really dedicate her time to advocate for criminal justice reform and for a man who was wrongly incarcerated. This summer, he was freed. How did her work impact you? You know, it's crazy because after I opted out, a lot of different news outlets and media outlets went to go talk to my family and talk to my former coaches because everybody wanted to figure out, well, what about Renee? Are you surprised? Did you know this would happen or do you expect this? Because everybody wants to know, like, what about you led you to that to that type of decision? Well, for my mind, uh, my more, I call her my mind, everybody <laughs> know that. But for my mind, her her character is is what made me not surprised. You know, if, if anybody knows Maya, they know that she stands on on her morals, you know, she's, and there's nothing that you can dispute about that. So whenever she feels that there's an injustice, I'm not surprised. And I'm proud that she did what she did. And she changed not one man's life, but she changed a whole family, a whole, a whole family's life. You're hearing Renee Montgomery on Where We Live. She's a two-time WNBA champion with the Minnesota Lynx, a former UConn Husky who won a 2009 NCAA championship. She's currently sitting out the season with the Atlanta Dream to work on social justice issues. She also has a nonprofit organization, the Renee Montgomery Foundation. So, Renee, you spoke to your family. You obviously got support from your former teammates, from former coaches like Gino Ariema. But when you hear from your fans, Atlanta Dream fans, people who've been following you for years, what was their reaction? Surprising. <laughs> That's what I would say. It was very surprising because I just didn't know. Like these are, I, these are fans of basketball, and these are fans that met me through playing basketball. So I didn't know how that would be if I had to temporarily separate from basketball you know like that like I'm always going to be connected to basketball but I'm not playing anymore so I just didn't know how people were going to take that um but man the response was overwhelmingly positive I couldn't believe it and the reason I also was a little bit surprised was because before I opted out there was a lot of talk because Kyrie Irving had had that phone call 
where he wanted to talk to other NBA players. And I was on that call. So I saw the reactions that Kyrie got when he even brought up the idea of not playing. You know, the call leaked and there was media outlets discussing it and no one talked favorably about it. So when I was thinking about announcing, I was trying to think about, should I just say I'm I'm going to opt out for personal reasons and then just go about helping the community like I was going to do? Or should I just tell the truth and be like, look, I'm opting out because I want to make a change. So that that was the the dilemma I was in. As you know, I decided to tell tell the truth and just say the full reason for why I was opting out. But I was pleasantly surprised. But you, were you concerned when we think about the support and sponsorship that professional women athletes, you know, they don't get as much attention as their male counterparts? Were you worried that the decision could drive fans away? I was worried that people wouldn't understand my decision. You know, I, I think that some people at first struggled with the why can't you do both? You know, they wanted to know, well, we love you playing and we love what you're trying to do. Why can't you just do both of them? And I think that that's what people, they, they weren't upset that I wasn't playing. They just were curious of, of the thought process. And once I started, you know, doing different interviews and talking and people saw what I meant when I, when I said I needed to just opt out and focus on, on here in Atlanta, then people started to get it. And the support, like I told you, it was just, I was, I was humbled by the support. Hmm. Uh, now that we're in this moment where uh, just recently, a couple weeks now, we've seen other professional athletes, sports leagues, uh, the Major League Baseball, the NBA, WNBA, even uh, Major League Soccer, halting games to show their support for what many Americans want to see, and that is police accountability uh, to confront systemic racism in our country. How does that make you feel, Anae? It makes me feel proud. You know, I've never been more proud to to be an athlete. I've never been more proud to be a WNBA player. You know, you just look around at all the different things that that the WNBA is doing. I mean, they're they're on point with their messaging, but they're also unified while still playing at an extremely high level. That's impressive. That's and I'm I'm so proud to say, oh yeah, I'm 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 a WNBA player because of the stance that the WNBA has taken and not just the WNBA, as you said, the NBA, the MLB, mm-hmm. the MLS, there's never been so much unity in sports until this year. And in a year where the country seems divided, I think it's so timely. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like players have the power now where they're not being shunned by uh, their team owners and uh, you know, commentators in, in the media? Definitely. You know, it it seems crazy to think that at a certain point somebody told a LeBron James to shut up and dribble. Like, you know, it, it seems like almost a joke, but that was really the thought process. People wanted athletes to just be athletes. They wanted their favorite sports person to be just that sports person. They don't want them talking about politics. They don't want them talking about social issues. They just want to see them run up and down the court or run up and down the field. And now it's 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 extremely different. People are looking at athletes to take the lead. And, and, and for me, like I said, this is, this is an exciting time because I think athletes have all the qualities to be a leader. We've already done it in sports for so long. So now that athletes have taken the reins when it comes to to justice and, and social causes, I think it's fitting. Some people might wonder, though, Renee, why not do both? Why not still play basketball? You're such a phenom, but also work on these issues, uh, social justice issues or helping fundraise for historically black colleges and universities. What do you say to them? You know, the WNBA had to take a day 
a mental day, a day of rest, meditation, uh, uh, just a day to just get away. And the reason I say that is because when you're playing games every other day and you're a professional athlete, that means that you train at the highest level. That means you study at the highest level. And so for me, I'm an overprepare. So if the coach gives me film to watch, I'm going to watch the film they give us to watch. And I'm going to watch some extra film, too, just to make sure I'm ready. If we go to practice, I'm going to practice and I'm going to shoot extra shots after practice just to make sure I feel like I'm comfortable and ready. And the reason I say that is because this year is a unique season. You're playing the same amount of games in a shorter, shorter amount of time. So for me, where would I find the time to be able to get on all these calls that I've been on with my team, my Moments Equal Momentum team, and to talk to these different people about investing and helping me pick up Morris Brown and, and get a tech center on campus? I just would not literally had the time because I would, I know how I am when it comes to preparation and I would prepare the same way that I always prepare. And that's, that's over preparing. And so just for those reasons, I can't do both. You know, I couldn't do both this season because it's a unique season. Mm. So tell me about your plans for this year, Renee, the things that you've been working on. So this year there's, there's two things that I'm really focusing on and it's, it's, my first initiative is called Remember the 3rd of November, and it's pretty self-explanatory. But a lot of times when we have a lot of different issues going on and people have a lot of passion and protests, they don't they don't equate it with making sure that passion goes to the polls. Take your passion to the votes. Take it, take it and use it and, and have your voice be heard. So the Remember the 3rd of November is just a reminder that, you know, if you're, you're feeling this way about this, well, your mayor controls your city budget. So if you have a problem with community not having enough community events, well, maybe you should vote local and then you could have an, you could have a effect on what happens. And, and the same thing goes for federal. Well, if you don't like this. So remember, the third is just trying to connect the dots for your everyday life and politics so you can understand why your voice should be heard. And then secondly, it's called The Last Yard and it's an HBCU initiative and Morris Brown, as well as all HBCUs, you know, Mayor Keisha Lansbottom said something so beautiful. She said. HBCUs are under-resourced, but never under-talented. So I'm trying to get the resources to HBCUs so that they can show their talents. And we all know tech is the future, coding is the future, esports is the future. So I'm trying to raise $300,000, and I know it's a lot. And I'm not going to be a fundraiser my whole life, just by the way. But I'm trying to raise $300,000 to put a tech center on Morris Brown's campus just so that they can have a level playing field. Mm. Of course, everyone wants to know, Renee, are you just planning on sitting out this year? Do you hope to return to basketball next season? I do, you know, and, and that's why I was very, very specific with saying I'm sitting out of this 2020 season. It's unique. You know, it's a bubble season that's shortened and, and it's just a unique circumstance that I didn't see myself being able to function how I wanted to function. You know, and so, yeah, to answer your question, long story short, yes, I do plan to return. Mm -hmm. You know, we started uh, talking about uh, how uh, you've been really moved to see uh, so many athletes, uh, so many black and brown uh, women and, and men uh, that are uh, using their voices, using their profile to push for change. But what do you think about uh, the children, the teenagers who love watching you and they're hearing athletes like you now? Uh, what do you think about um, that you'd want to say to them? I'd want to say, you know, understand that you have a voice and use it and and the one thing I always tell people before you use your voice research know what you're talking about like that's the quickest way for people not to want to hear your voice is if you start to say things that aren't credible 
So if you are going to be passionate about a topic, if you are going to talk about that topic, make sure you do your research first. Hmm. Renee Montgomery, again, a two-time WNBA champion, a former UConn Husky. Uh, again, so many people in Connecticut excited to see uh, your WNBA career and probably happy to hear that one day you will be back. Uh, again, she's sitting out the season with the Atlanta Dream to work on social justice issues. You can learn more about her work at Renee Montgomery Foundation. We'll tweet out a link. Renee, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This is Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, we talk to Teresa Plaisance. She's a forward for the WNBA franchise in our state, the Connecticut Sun. How did the Connecticut Sun respond to the protests for police accountability and the belief that black lives matter? More after the break. You can join us too, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. People loved Muhammad Ali until the boxer refused to be drafted in the Vietnam War. He was stripped of his titles, but he fought back to get them back. Two black athletes, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, were booed during a medal ceremony in the 1968 Summer Olympics. They had raised their fists during the national anthem to protest racism, but Olympic officials expelled them from the games for making, quote, a political statement. And we can't forget former 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick, who was vilified from the president on down for kneeling during the national anthem. He hasn't played for three years. Today, we're talking about protests in sports. What's your reaction when professional athletes recently in the WNBA, the NBA and Major League Baseball halted their games to show support for police accountability and their belief that black lives matter? You can join our conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Joining us now on the phone is Teresa Plaisance. She's a forward with the Connecticut Sun. That's the WNPR franchise franchise in our state. She's also the team representative to the NBA's Players Association. Teresa, welcome to our show. Hi, thank you for having me. So we spoke to Renee Montgomery earlier. Respond to what you heard from Renee. She said that she was proud of athletes like you and others who um, have shown support and halted games recently uh, for for the Americans and and many others who are calling for change. Absolutely. Um, Right now it's a time in our country where um, we need to stay unified for this common goal. And my goal is to, you know, end uh, racism and systemic racism and also bring, you know, justice to those who have been, um, you know, wrongfully murdered. Um, And, you know, we're playing, we're, we're here in the WNBA as a united front, as a united group of women that are staying together and playing for Say Her Name because far too often women are forgotten about during this time. Um, And we just want to bring attention to the fact that, you know, these women need justice as well. Mm. I understand it's your seventh year in the WNBA. What was the decision like to forego games last week? Was it difficult uh, to make that decision? Walk us through your Um, conversations with your teammates. It, it wasn't a difficult decision for us because we had the last game of the night. So the first two games were already canceled. So it was really easy to fall in line and stand in solidarity with the teams that um, opted not to play earlier that day. 
So we decided to not play that night and take a day of reflection and a day of, um, you know, just to talk about what actions we were going to take and, and moving forward with um, this whole movement. Um, that We have a lot of things going on within the bubble with limited resources, but the platform that we do have in the bubble we want to use um, and show that we are a united front um, and we stand with the Black Lives Matter movement. You're a white woman playing in the WNBA. You call yourself an ally to your black and brown sisters in the league. Tell us uh, what it's been like to play professional basketball, how you've seen others uh, react to uh, your teammates. Um, I love being in the WNBA. I'm so proud to say that I'm in the WNBA because of how um, united we are as, as a whole, how... Um, how we we have taken every issue that we find important to us head on, um, and, and we're at the forefront of all these, um, you know, social equality stances. And this, you know, this is ultra important. And me being a white woman in the WNBA, I'm in, you know, the minority in the WNBA, and you know, being around um, these strong, um, intelligent, powerful black women on a daily basis, I just you know, my heart goes out to them because I feel that when when we have a a time where, you know, we have to go in public, I'm not being looked at the same way. That I don't have to worry about being discriminated. I don't have to worry about getting pulled over and reaching in my pocket and worried about taking out my license. I have those freedoms, and I think it's really sad that we have people in this country that are still fighting for those freedoms for over 400 years, still battling for simple rights as to reach for your wallet uh, at a traffic stop as to just simply um, walk through a store without being followed. There's things like that that just we really need to change in our society and starting with the little things and going all the way up to what's going on in our government and getting into the polls and taking advantage of our vote because our vote is where we'll be most powerful. Mm-hmm. Can you can you elaborate more, uh, Teresa, when you're out with your teammates, how you see uh, different members of the public react to them? Um, you know, going into public, I, I've i never um, personally been discriminated against or anything. So when I walk into stores with my teammates and I see, you know, employees' eyes turn to my teammates or are they being followed or asked if um, they're looking for anything in specific in, in particular multiple times. Um, I, I just, I don't, I'm not being asked these questions and I'm roughly the same age. I'm roughly the same build. I'm roughly the same, everything. The only difference is my skin color. So I don't understand um, why these things are happening to my teammates and not myself. And when things like this happen, um, it's, it's, my duty as an ally to speak up and call out these things. It's my duty as an ally to have uncomfortable conversations and call out ignorance. Um, so I, you know, that's what I do. Um, I, I side with my teammates and everything. I side with the black community and everything. Um, because you know, it's their right. It's their right to, to live in this country the way that I do. And until that, until that is the case, um, you know, we're not going to be silent. We're not going to, step down. We're going to continue fighting the good fight until every single person in this country has the exact same rights. 
You're hearing Teresa Plaisance. She's a forward with the WNBA franchise, the Connecticut Sun here in our state. She's also the team's representative to the NBA Players Association as we talk about uh, this movement recently of multiple sports leagues and professional athletes banding together uh, to show their support uh, to many Americans who are calling for change, including police accountability. You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Teresa, I'm wondering what the fan reaction has been, uh, not only to uh, what you've shared, but the fact that, again, uh, with teams halting games, uh, showing solidarity, not everyone is on board uh, with that message that that athletes uh, should be political. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Not everybody's on board. And um, I've been very outspoken on my social media outlets, speaking up against police brutality and speaking in solidarity with the black community. Um, so my stance is very clear when it comes to my social media outlets. And and I've lost quite a few followers due to that. And to be honest, I feel like that was the trash taking itself out. Um, I feel like it's a humanitarian statement to say end racism. I feel like it's a humanitarian statement to one equality. I feel like it's a humanitarian statement to say that Black Lives Matter. So the fact that we're in a very heated point of our country's history and we're not all fighting for the same goal of equality because it's not a political statement. There's no politics involved in being a good person. There's no politics involved in being inclusive. There's no politics involved in treating people with respect and dignity. So with that being said, I feel like... um, People need to educate themselves on the issues, and the more we know, the better we can be. Um, and we live in a, in a day and age where um, technology is so great that we have resources literally at our fingertips. Go on your phone, look up, um, educate yourself, look up different things, look up history, learn about all these different things about black history because far too often history and black history aren't necessarily in alignment and we don't learn in school about um, all the things that go on in black history as well so just doing your part reading up on social injustices reading up to reading up on systemic racism reading up on how to be the best ally you can be i um i encourage you know allies to really step up and speak out at a time like this Mm-hmm. Teresa, I want you to stay with us as we bring into the conversation Molly Yanity. She's Associate Professor of Journalism at Quinnipiac University. Molly, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. I want you to respond uh, to what Teresa has shared. I was thinking that when I asked about, you know, not everyone likes the idea of athletes being political, but athletes are also workers. We know workers belong to unions. Unions endorse political candidates. Why is it touchy when athletes decide to take a stand and make a statement? You know, um, it, it's touchy when any sort of of a of worker might be in conflict with an owner um, or or with a a, a corporation. But I, one of the, the, the offshoots of this incredible movement throughout professional sports right now, and even down in the NCAA sports, is that we are seeing a solidarity of labor. Um, Teresa knows this. She's part of the, the WNBA Players Union. But when you have that solidarity of labor plus resistance 
on the face of popular athletes, this is this is powerful right now, and it has a lot of potential. Um, one of the things that uh, Teresa had mentioned was that the WNBA has been at the forefront of social issues for some time. Um, you know, it was actually WNBA players and, and Renee Montgomery's uh, Minnesota Lynx um, mm-hmm. team in 2016 that, that were among the first professional athletes. This predated even um, Kaepernick kneeling to stand up and say enough is enough. And that was when Michael Brown um, was killed by police uh, outside of St. Louis. Um, the next year, the, the entire mm-hmm. Seattle Storm franchise um, uh, got into a partnership, a, a sponsoring partnership with Planned Parenthood. Um, in, in my view of this, female athletes particularly were built for this fight. Um, female athletes have had to fight even for the right to play even for the right to get onto a court. And then every step of the way, it has been yet another fight. Um, we want equal publicity. We want equal, you know, we want the same equipment. We want trainers at our games. We want equal pay. Obviously you see the women's um, soccer team um, on that fight, but every step of the way, female athletes have had to fight. Female athletes are particularly primed for what is happening now. It, and, and to me, it's just absolutely impressive to see, but it's completely unexpected because they are primed for this fight. Hmm. You mentioned back in 2016, uh, the WNBA, uh, again, leading this movement, but it's Colin Kaepernick that uh, many people remember uh, for kneeling during the national anthem. R- remind us how the WNBA, you mentioned team owners, how they responded. I believe it, it wasn't like it is now where you see team owners wanting to show support of their players. You know, I think in the WNBA, that has not been the case. I, I think the WNBA owners have been largely on board with athlete protests. Um, in other sports, not the case at all. I mean, you have uh, you know, Jerry Jones with, with the Dallas Cowboys, Robert Kraft um, with the, the Patriots. I mean, you're, these owners have, uh, you know, billions of dollars invested into their teams, and, and they were not on board with Kaepernick kneeling at all. But, but something to note, at, at that time, um, it was literally only a third of Americans approved of, of Kaepernick kneeling. Um, in the four years that have followed, we're now at more than two-thirds of Americans approve of athletes doing this. Um, Teresa said she's lost Facebook friends and, and or I'm sorry, social friends on social media, and, and there, there is still that one-third. But really interestingly, um, in the early 60s, when Freedom Riders uh, were on their tour and there were the, the diner sit-ins, um, so this is early 1960s, only a third of Americans approved of, of that at the time as well. Um, when the March on Washington happened in 1963, um, we were still at that same sort of, uh, that, that one third approval, but it was literally when the, the images came out of Selma of of the police brutalizing people just walking across a bridge that it changed. And so then you get into the late sixties and the, the, the civil rights movement has legislation and, and legs to back it. That was at a time where again, more than two thirds of the, the country approved of that. So we've seen in four years, this start with Kaepernick kneeling one third. And now we have owners and corporations and, um, you know, they're on board now. This is this is called marketplace activism. And, you know, hey, we see the two thirds of Americans are on board with this. Well, we got to get on the right side of things. And uh, I, I, you know, I look at those numbers and and see how those things change. And, um, you know, the, the, the you know, does the cart come before the horse? Hey, the WNBA players were on this from from day one. 
I've seen coverage of uh, Elizabeth Williams, also of the Atlanta Dream, again, uh, taking on uh, one of uh, their team's co-owners, Senator Kelly Loeffler, who um, from Georgia, who has uh, uh, spoken out against the Black Lives Matter movement. And she and her teammates, uh, Williams and her teammates are, you know, really, um, you know, pushing back on that, even uh, wearing T-shirts endorsing Loeffler's opponent in uh, this November special election. Uh, but Teresa Plaisance, I want to go back to you again. You're a forward with the Connecticut Sun. Respond to what Molly has shared and how you, again, you have been playing in the WNBA for, for seven years now, I believe, and how you've seen that team owners and management change their, their stance with their players. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't always... 100% in support. I feel like owners have been supportive. Um, you know, when we have taken our stances in years past, um, we tried to pass out fines and then hours later ended up waiving those fines. Um, so now we see um, a solid front coming from the, the top down as a league. We are standing with the black community, with the Black Lives Matter movement. And I think we're just going to um, grow from here. I feel like you know, what we're trying to do in this bubble, the ideas that we're coming up with, things that we want to start doing to start taking more action. Obviously, with limited resources here, um, a lot of our action is going to be via our games and interviews and social media outlets. But once we can get out in the community um, and once we can get, um, you know, a, a rally behind going, going to the voting polls and and placing your vote because that's that's where change will be made in the in in the polls. So, um, you know, it's it's a really uh, big thing for the WNBA to to get out and vote right now. Um, we're we're partnering with Lock to Vote. We're having every single member of the WNBA register to vote and check our registration um, via outlets online to uh, check your voter registration. Um, and you know that's something that we're doing as well. Mm. Besides working on voters' rights, again, when athletes stop playing, people pay attention. So can you tell us a little bit more, Teresa, with the conversations you're having with your teammates, uh, what you hope to accomplish this year beyond uh, the election? Um, we, we hope to accomplish um, just something to start to create change. Our goal is to... Com completely end racism um and that doesn't happen overnight that's a process but what we can do on our platform is you know uh bring awareness to it make sure that we are not staying quiet because far too often you know we have black man after black woman be killed in in police custody be killed wrongfully be killed innocently um just just based off the color of their skin and you know i don't want to live in a country where i have you know, friends and, and people that have to, to, to go through things like that. Um, and so as an ally, you know, it's important for us to keep this conversation relevant, keep this conversation consistent, and make sure that we, we keep this conversation going on until we don't have to anymore, until there is change and we don't have to keep speaking up about it. You're hearing Teresa Plaisance, uh, who is a forward with the WNBA franchise, the Connecticut Sun. She's also the team representative for the, WN the WNBA Players Association. Teresa, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Thank you for having me. This is Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're going to talk about 
Protests and Sports More with Molly Yannity, Associate Professor of Journalism at Quinnipiac University. And we also want to hear from you. You can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're talking about professional athletes protesting in support of Americans, calling for police accountability, and confronting systemic racism in our country. On Zoom is Molly Yannity, Associate Professor of Journalism at Quinnipiac University. You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter, at where we live. Uh, Molly, I talked with Renee Montgomery earlier about the often the statement you hear from some fans and, and commentators is athletes should, should just shut up and play. I wanted to walk, talk with you more about um, how that, uh, that opinion has shifted and, you know, where it originated from. The, the phrase itself, you know, sh- uh, the, the shut up and dribble was uh, literally Laura Ingram saying it about LeBron James a few years back. But I mean, you go back 10, 20 years ago, uh, it was the Dixie Chicks standing up against the uh, the war in Iraq, and it was shut up and sing. And this literally, the athlete and entertainer activism goes back a, a long way. Um, with athletes, in particular, um, you know, the the first person that, that I could find that, that did this was a woman named Rose Robinson, and she she actually sat for the national anthem in the at the 1959 Pan Am Games. Um, she was a high jumper from Chicago, and um, uh, she refused to go on the United or the USA Track and Field State Department trips. Um, she was eventually put in prison for tax evasion over three hundred and eighty-six dollars, and she went on a hunger strike. And when she did that, she actually um, became so frail and weak, and and she she made an impact because she was seen on TV. And the general public couldn't believe that an athlete would look like that. And, and she really started to make some, some change in, in her native Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen the, the athlete activism, uh, you know, particularly spike in the uh, Vietnam War era when, when all activism among young people was spiking. Um, the University of Wyoming football team, uh, the, the coach actually dismissed 14 players um, in 1960 when these players had the audacity to ask if they could wear armbands when they played BYU um, because BYU, uh, obviously affiliated with the Mormon church, um, would not allow black priests. Um, they, they were summarily dismissed. They, they went to talk to their coach and the coach gathered them in the uh, field house and, and cut them, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, moving forward from that, um, you had a, a Mohamed um, Abdul Rauf. In 1996, uh, he was an NBA player, um, you know, third pick in the NBA draft, uh, and he uh, turned his back to the American flag, and he was blackballed. Um, went back to his native Louisiana, and his house uh, was burnt down. You know, so there is a a lot of there's a, a long history of this, um, and uh, you know, sports sociologist um, Harry Edwards uh, from San Jose. Um, is called what's happening now uh, the fourth wave of athletic activism. Mm. Um, and I think that we really see that that, that uh, 
um, that, that's really started with, with these, um, you know, 2016 Kaepernick, the things I'd mentioned with the WNBA players, we had some NFL players from uh, this at the time, the St. Louis Rams uh, responding to Ferguson. Um, you know, so uh, there, there is a long history here. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I, I want to say this, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going on a little bit, but I, you know, in general, the, the, the general public that is being entertained by, by sports figures, um, that they say that in, in general that, uh, you know, please don't mix politics in my sports. I watch sports to get away from, you know, the day-to-day -day grind of things. Um, but it wasn't the athletes that have that originally mixed politics and sports. It's actually the government and the corporations that did that. Um, you had the, the federal government calling on athletes like Joe Lewis and Jesse Owens um, in World War II era to, to you know, um, to support the World War II effort. Um, even later, you, you, you know, the government gets involved with sports to recruit for the military at the uh, at, you know, Little League World Series in Pennsylvania. The U.S. Army has a, um, like a, a big game set up where kids can come in and play war video games. And, you know, and there they get the U.S. Army pitch. Um, it's not the athletes that have inserted politics into sports. It's the other way around. But what we're seeing right now in whatever it's called the fourth wave is the athletes really, you know, consolidating their power as laborers and, and changing the narrative. Mm. You're hearing Molly Yannity on Zoom with us. She's Associate Professor of Journalism at Quinnipiac University. Can we talk about the NFL as uh, another season is just around the corner, the way, again, that uh, Colin Kaepernick was treated? I'm just curious what you expect to hear and see from NFL Commissioner Goodell and team owners. Yeah, you know, um, boy, this is this is one of these things that where it, it kind of all blends together with this very divisive moment in, in our, in our political environment. Um, we are going to see, you know, I, I mentioned on the previous segment that in the four years since Kaepernick originally kneeled um, in a preseason game, wasn't even on camera when it first happened. Um, but we have seen a, a seismic shift in, in the audience's perception of this at the time, 33% of Americans were, were very much, you know, did not approve of, of Kaepernick doing this. Those numbers have, 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 you know, the tables have turned on those numbers. We're now at a point where it's more than two thirds of Americans approve of what we're seeing with the NBA and WNBA. Um, we saw with Major League Baseball, and I, I will be completely honest, I almost fell over when I saw mm -hmm. that baseball teams were, were canceling games to reflect on, on this uh, racial inequality. Um, so I, I expect we are going to see the NFL, which is um, more 77% black. Um, I suspect we will see them um, kneeling during the anthem, showing support for Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, I, I saw that they're going to have, uh, um, you know, the, the words Black Lives Matter and um, the names of police, uh, of victims of police violence on the screens. Um, now, keep in mind, you know, this, this is something that's happening during COVID. There are not fans in the stadium. We're only going to be seeing this on TV. And the owners are now positioning, they're positioning themselves as, hey, we're going to get on the right side of this. And it's easy to get on the right side of things when you have, you know, the favorability ratings are in your favor. But, it, you know, we are still going to see, I, I suspect, the president um, fanning the flames of this. Um, he already has with the NBA. Um and, and continuing to make this a, a divisive issue 
when, when, as Teresa so eloquently put it, this isn't, you know, being a decent human being is not a political issue, but, but we're going to continue seeing that. Um, you know, I, I saw just recently that Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, said that he should have listened to Kaepernick. And I'd, I'd had a conversation and with someone and they're like, you know, that, that's growth. And, and I'm not terribly sure that that is growth. I think it's a, a reaction to, um, to those favorability numbers, um, to that, that sort of marketplace activism, where if you're going to be the person who is against, against this movement now, you, you're the one who looks bad. That's interesting because we now know that, you know, some Americans are just tired of words. And so seeing how the NFL will act beyond uh, putting out a statement or putting up on the, the Jumbotron Black Lives Matter, it should, it'll be interesting uh, this season, Molly. Yeah, you know, one of the, you know, we see the, um, we, we see, uh, you know, Kaepernick from the get-go has, has put in, you know, his Know Your Rights campaign put his money where his mouth was for sure. Um, WNBA doing that. Teresa outlined some of the things they're doing. Renee Montgomery um, discussed, you know, working with HBCUs and and um, in education and, and the get out the vote. Uh, you know, the, the NBA players came forward with a list of demands. Um, it's It was not just the simple words. So, uh, you know, I, I think the NFL players have, have been kind of wading into that territory. They, they definitely did with a, a partnership with the NFL that, that was, you know, highly criticized also, um, you know, among uh, activists. But um, but I think that now that the, the uh, they, they're going to get out the vote, they're going to do everything they can to, to make that happen. You know, we are also talking about this and seeing this movement because we're in a, a pandemic. And I'm wondering, uh, you know, what your thoughts are on how COVID and the way games are being played has contributed to this moment we're in. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that it's contributed. I, it was actually one of the first things that um, that I said out loud when I saw the NBA take such quick and decisive action. You know, this isn't a time where after the games, the guys are all going to, you know, home to their families or, or out with friends or to the, the steakhouse or the club or whatever they're doing after the games. They're all coming back to their hotel in Orlando and they're together and they have a chance to to bond over over their shared pain. They, they have a chance to discuss this. Um, and, and, you know, to, to really in the WNBA bubble um, to really have their their leadership point the, you know, point the ship toward a specific direction and say, are we behind this? Um, with the WNBA, that's uh, Neka Agumake and, and Leisha Clarendon, who, who played for the Sun last year. Um, you know, you have LeBron James up and talking and saying, I'm tired of saying this, and everybody being in that same place to discuss it. I also think on the other side of that, um, the the lack of, of of sports to be, to, to go to game. Okay. To, to physically go to the games, the lack of, um, you know, social activity that, that we as citizens have right now has kind of just cleared up a little space to really look at this stuff too. And to look at it critically. I mean, I don't think that, that you can watch the George Floyd video of, of a, a police officer with his, you know, with his knee in, in this man's, on this man's neck mm -hmm. and, and have a whole lot of room for, for argument about it. And then to also have this space and time to really to ruminate on that and, and, and to think critically about this. So, yeah, you know, this isn't right. Um, I think both of those things ha have cleared the way a little bit more for um, for the activism we're seeing. So so on both sides, for the activist athletes themselves and for the public 
reacting to it. Mm. Again, Molly Yannity is Associate Professor of Journalism at Quinnipiac University. Molly, it was a pleasure. Thank you for a very it's interesting always conversation. Always a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for, for having me on. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Tess Terrible. Carmen Baskoff is on the phones. Our tech producer is Kat Pastor. You can listen to the show anytime. Just download Where We Live on your favorite podcast app. We hope you have a great weekend. <laughs>